How you doing? You alright? Okay, cool. I too am a bit tired. I was also at the same wedding. And uh, it was great, wasn't it, man? It was, a, it was like a Greek wedding. They know how to do a wedding, man. I tell you, I changed my Facebook status to have been to a great Greek wedding. I want a big Greek family now. <laughs> but I don't think it's possible. Anyone ever seen a ginger-headed Greek person? Okay. Well, we know I'm in trouble. Uh, anyway, my name's Rick. I'm part of the staff team uh, here at the Vineyard. Uh, and I'm going to spend a little while with you this morning just talking. And uh, if you've been around a bit, you'll see me every now and then. I'm up about once a month in the morning and doing various other things. But what you might not know about me is actually one of my main responsibilities here at the Vineyard is to run the Burn Church, which is our, our evening service. Now, who, who knew we had an evening service? Most people? Some people didn't? Okay. What we do? Let me tell you. Let me break this down for you. Uh, you're at the 10 a.m. service. So this is by far our, our largest if you want service, most popular, I guess, uh, full kids' work and everything. Um, and then we have a, a 11.59 service, or midday, depending on how you feel. Um, and, and that goes on, obviously, about 12 o'clock. And uh, that's slightly different to this one. It's only an hour long, um, shorter talk, uh, and then uh, some room for Q&A. So it's a really good place to come um, if you want to grill a preacher and make him sweat. Maybe cry, have a breakdown, you know, please come along. We do encourage, not when I'm preaching, but when, I, when other people are preaching, I encourage that. And then we have the, the Burn Church, which meets about eight o'clock, about quarter to eight, eight o'clock, depending on when we start, uh, in the evening. And it's slightly different again. We move all the chairs out, it's, every, it's a bit darker, it's a bit louder. And we kind of say that, uh, Sam, who's leading worship, also leads it with me. And uh, we kind of say it's kind of 18 to 20, but we blur uh, either end. So if you're a kind of an oldie, you know, if you're a grey top, you can still come in. Okay? We've got a booth now, a cage, some might say, at the back for you. And uh, with earplugs and stuff, you're more than welcome to come. But what I want to do this morning is I, I was going to give a certain sermon, but I decided not to. I, I had some friction about it in my mind and decided not to go there. So I thought what I'd do is I'd give you a taste of Burn. Okay? So Burn runs slightly differently. We've got a separate website and uh, we do do a, our own kind of thing. So we do various series. Like in September, James, if I have the next screen, we're going to do a series called Truish. And... Uh, just looking at the nature of truth. This is something that you, you wouldn't see this in the two morning services because it's totally separate. And then, because of our age range being what it is, we're going to do a series after that called um, Sex on Fire and uh, just dealing with the whole sex and relationship stuff. But at the moment at Burn, we're kind of in a little mini series um, called Roots. Called Roots, okay? We're doing this for a couple of weeks and then we're off to the park for a little while because it's obviously brilliant sunshine at the moment. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. But I want to give you just a a sample of kind of one of the talks that I kind of give at Burn. Okay, so I've actually given this already at Burn. So if you're a Burn person, you might be going, oh. Or if it went really well, you'd be going, great, I can hear it again. Okay, but this is the kind of thing that goes down. So the idea behind this series, Roots, is just looking at some key characters in the Old Testament, okay? The chunky bit of the Bible right at the front. Uh, looking at some key characters and saying, what can I learn from these guys as a follower of Jesus? What can actually I take from their lives as a lesson for me. And we just look at them briefly, we take a quick snapshot of just one moment, not their whole life, but usually just sort of one moment in their life and say, what can I learn from this? So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about a character called David. Who's heard, uh, if you've been around church before, who's heard of David or King David, okay? Quite a lot of you, quite a few of you haven't, okay? Let me give you a breakdown of David. David eventually, when he reached kind of his, uh, his groove in life, was the king of Israel, okay? And... Um, when David ruled, um, he did really, really, really well. 
In fact, people would later on look at the, the era when David was the king of Israel and say that was the golden era. Under David's kingship, there was uh, more money than ever. There was more uh, peace than ever. There was more... Um, people just... The, the kingdom was together. It was held together very well by him. And uh, he was looked on as this great, great king. Even to the point where God actually says in scripture that David was a man after his own heart. That David actually carried with him something of God's nature. This guy was a, really was a something else. But he had his problems as well. If you know the story of David, later on in his life, he didn't do so well. You know, there was a little incident of murdering someone. You know, we all have our bad days. To be fair, and there's times I've been driving to work on a Monday and someone cuts me up and I think, this is a King David moment. Uh, anyway, so, but we're going to meet him much earlier in his life. Much, much earlier. Let me tell you what the situation is here. Israel were a, 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 a nation that God chose. And he said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. This is how it's going to work. But at one point, Israel looked around at all the other nations around them and said, they've all got kings. They've all got a dude on a throne with a, you know, with a crown, and we should have that. So they go to God, and they plead with God for a king. Well, actually plead with a guy called Samuel, a prophet. And they say, we want a king, we want a king. And, and God says, it's not a good idea you have a king. And they well, we want one. Yeah, but it's not a very good idea. It's gonna go, not going to go well with you, but we want one. So eventually, God relents, and he gives them a king, a guy called Saul. Now, Saul was a, started off as a great king. But later on in his life, Saul began to mess things up and disobey God in really silly little ways, just continually disobeying uh, what God said. So God actually, what he does is, he doesn't kill Saul, he doesn't remove Saul from being king. What he does is he, he, almost, he, he takes away his backing, he takes away his confidence from Saul, and he actually decides to choose someone else. And what he does is he goes and he chooses this young boy called David. But it's a strange situation for a while because Saul is the king. He's got the crown. But David has the the backing of God. God looks at David and says, you're the kind of king that we want. And there's this strange friction in in Israel where Saul is the the ruling guy on the throne. But David is, is the one that God is actually blessing and he's got God's backing. So when, I, when, you, when you think of David at Smart, I want you to think of this, that he has been chosen by God, but he doesn't yet have everything God's going to give him. He's been chosen by God, but he doesn't yet have everything that God wants to give him. So we're going to pick this story up, and there's going to be a, a bunch of scripture today. So if you've got a Bible, I would uh, say grab it. Uh, if not, the words will be on the screen, but I'm going to read quick and confident, because there's some long words I don't understand. <clears throat> So we're just going to rattle through this. So this is in a, a book called 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to read verses 1 to 11. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped near Soka in Judea and Azekai at... <coughs> Saul, see? Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion, came out. He was a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, 
He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin that was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt over to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. My first point today is that Goliath was a badass. Goliath was a mean character. You do not want to spill this giant's pint. Okay? He was a big guy. Let, let me give you the stats on Goliath. It says that his chain mail weighed eight stone. So this is the, this is the thing underneath the armor. Okay? This is the, the softer bit. It weighed eight stone. That's like, that's like a, a member of Girls Aloud. <laughs> so he's going, he's going to war with Cheryl on his back. This is how crazy tough this guy is. I'll fight you with a pop star on myself. Okay? And it also says that he's got this javelin. And you can imagine how big the javelin was, because this guy's nine feet tall. I, by the way, I, I, I'm, if you want to work out what it is, I'm six foot one and an eighth. Um, so imagine a few feet above me. But he has this javelin. It says that the spearhead is basically, it weighs a stone. It's a stone. You know? I mean, I remember throwing a javelin at school. Badly. <laughs> but if I had, like six or eight bags worth of sugar on the end of it as well. I wouldn't be able to lift the thing. But Goliath is so tough that this is the kind of weapon he uses. Not only does he manage to lift it, but he manages to hurl at people's heads. This guy is a mean guy. He's the kind of guy who would shake your hand and his hand would cover your arm. He's a huge guy. And he's the, we're told he's the biggest Philistine or the toughest. He's a champion. So he comes out and he's just like... Begins to taunt Israel. And then we're told that actually right at the end there it says that when Saul the king and the Israelites heard this they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now just a little bit of background on Saul. Earlier in 1 Samuel we're told that Saul was a handsome young man. And head and shoulders above all of Israel in height. So here's the situation. Biggest, toughest guy the Philistines had. King Saul, biggest, most powerful, toughest Israelite there is. This is a clash here. But Goliath is all mouth and all threats and taunts. And the king, instead of rising to it, instead of being the champion that a king should be, he is terrified and he is shaking in his boots. Fast forward a bit in the chapter and... uh, just to give you a bit of background, David's brothers are all at the battle. They're all with the, Phil- with the Israelite army. But, but David is, because he's the youngest, he's staying behind and he's looking after sheep and stuff. This is David's role. 
And when he's not looking after the sheep, eventually, uh, sometimes his, his father, Jesse, sends him out to the battlefront to take some stuff, take some errands to see how his brothers, is, brothers are and give them a report. So in the next section, David's kind of been looking after the sheep and then he, um, his dad said, go and see what's happening with the war. So he goes off. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse has directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen a giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. And he will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Now hold on a second. Did anyone see what just happened there? Let me tell you. Now David is a fierce warrior, but he's not clever. Listen to this again. Just, just pay attention to this. He comes, these, these are the other soldiers talking to David. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Then David said this. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? Yeah. Now let's go, David, we just said. What it was? So David, what does a man get for killing this Philistine? <laughs> and ending his defiance of Israel. And then he says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that's the reward for killing him. <laughs> just love the patience of these other guys. Just like, okay, stupid boy. Now, there's an interesting couple of things about David in this moment. David comes to this battle and these forces have been across the valley from each other. And every now and then they join and they, they kind of tussle with one another. And then the, the, the giant... Goliath comes out and then he screams his taunts and Israel runs away. But David comes to see what's going on and he's kind of astounded. And one thing I want you to know about David is an interesting character thing is David sees things differently. David sees things differently. You see, the account given by the soldiers is that this guy, Goliath, comes out and he defies the army of Israel. That's what we're told. He comes out and he, he defies the army of Israel and he, he cusses Saul every day. But David has got a different view. Let's listen to the words of David again. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? You see a difference there between the soldiers where they're saying it's a giant and he's, ta- he's taunting the, the armies of Israel. But David comes along and David goes, no, 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 no. He's taunting your God. This isn't about two armies. This isn't about a giant versus a bunch of men. This is about the army of God and some earthly army. 
And David just has this way about him. And this is why I think why God chose him. He just saw things differently to others. So he comes to the battlefront and, and he's not just looking and going, wow, he's a really big guy. I see him. He's, he's got, is that a woman on his back? He's, he's, kinda, he's just like there. But he doesn't just run from him. He goes, actually, how can this work? How can this guy, this human guy, although he's a big fella, how can he defy God? And I just want to pause for a minute and fast forward to 2009 and we'll, we'll join David in a minute. In your life, when you come up against things, how, how do you, you view them? Do you just think, well, it's just trouble, right? It's just, I'm just ill. It's just money problems. It's just relationships, isn't it? It's just kids. Do you look at things a certain way and just go, well, it's just, that's what's happening? Or do you see things slightly differently? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you've stepped into a different way of living. You've stepped into a different way of being. And actually, the way you need to view your life now is, is differently. That sometimes the battles you're in, uh, that you're in, that you, don't, you haven't just fallen into. They're not the same battles that everyone is in. But actually, there's something more going on. And sometimes in your life, you need to call things and go, oh, what's going on here? What's going on? You see, uh, I don't want to get too much into this, but as Christians, we have an enemy who's looking to trip us up. We have a God who commands us to, to do certain things. And it's not advice. Jesus isn't giving us advice most of the time. He, he's telling us the truth. He's telling us about life. Do we need to look at things differently? When you're, when you're in conflicts and when you're, there's trouble in your life, do you need to look at it differently and go, oh, hold on, this isn't just normal life, an attack on me, but actually this is an attack on my, my, my faith and what God is doing in me. And you need to view things differently. Get a bit offended. Anyway, going back to David, uh, the story uh, continues. And uh, so David is there, and he's seen this thing happening, and he is just overwhelmed with, like, how can this be going on? And he carries on, he says this. But when David's oldest brother, Elib, heard David was talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just want to see the battle. Is anyone a little brother here? Anyone a little brother? A few people. You know what this is like, right? Big bro just needs to slap you down. You know, this is the way it is. And this is what's happening here. His big brothers are kind of there. David turns up and he's like, shepherd boy. And, and just so you know, David's role that day was not war, but delivering cheese. This is what he's on. If you read the story, he's delivering cheese to the guards or something. This is his, his cheese boy. And cheese boy comes up. How dare he defy the armies? And his brothers go, what are you doing, idiot? And he says, ah, what about those sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? And then David says this, what have I done now? Typical little brother response as well. What, what have I done? David replied, I was only asking a question. <laughs> and he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. So David at this point is still saying, hey, what's the reward for killing that guy? He, said, he just walked around and everyone's just slowly getting bored with him. So <laughs> he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. And now we have this moment 
the, the, the king with the crown versus the king with God's backing, a small boy. Not that, maybe not that small. He's not like seven or anything, don't get me wrong. And there's this brilliant moment of interaction here where, you know, there's the king with all the army and there's the king with the cheese. And they have this moment. It says this. <laughs> Don't worry about the Philistine, David told him. I'll go and fight him. <laughs> I mean, you've got to love the balls on this kid, right? Just to, just to be going for it. Just to be like, uh, I'll do it. And you can imagine King Saul going, oh, great. <laughs> like I've got thousands of war-torn, one-legged, no-eyed, hook-hand warriors. But you have turned up. So now we are saved. So he says, don't worry. I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he has been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Now, David, you're really not selling this warrior thing here. I've got a paper round. How dare you, king? But he's got a point. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Then he said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. This is the young man you do not want in your youth group. He's depressed. He has issues. He has weapons. I club it to death. I've done this both to lions and bears. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. There he is again, different view. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Finally, Saul consented. All right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord be with you. And it's kind of like Saul going, it's God's problem. (laughs) The Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on and strapped the sword over it and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things. I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. And he picked up five smooth stones from the stream. And put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling. He started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Now, I don't know about you when you're reading scripture. I don't know how much you do it. And when I'm sitting down and I'm reading the Bible, I get lost. Okay, sometimes lost in sleep, we all do that, right? But other times I just get lost because I, I'll see a few verses in, in a story and they will capture me and I'll be like, oh wow, that's really interesting. And I can, I, seriously, I've seen something and I've carried on reading for like six or seven chapters but not read anything else, you know, you're just kind of scanning. And when I was reading this story, a few things which are, are bigger up there, the text is bigger on the screen there, you, stood out at me. And the first thing is this, here's David, he, he's got God's backing, 
He's there and he, he's, he's seeing things differently. He's seeing that God is being challenged here. And he's going to fight. And Saul thinks, okay, you, you, you're going to go and battle. So what you need is armor. So it says, then Saul gave David his armor. And I thought about this armor thing for a while. And I thought, what's, what's the armor? You know, Because it, it makes sense if you're going to go to war to wear some, wear some armor. right? And back in that day, you know, it was very close close hand combat you'd look into a man's eyes before you gouged him out with a spoon or something it was really hardcore so you'd wear armor on your on your arms and on the front of your legs and on your chest and you'd wear a helmet for protection right it makes sense that that's how you do it it's just common sense i want to go into battle i want to come back with my limbs and my head that's what i want okay so you wear armor And Saul's doing the right thing here. And he gives David not just any armor, but the king's armor. But there's an interesting thing that happens is it doesn't fit. It's not that it doesn't fit, but it's just not David's thing. And it it says uh, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on and strapped a sword over it and took a few steps to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. And then David said this, "I, I I can't go in these. Can't go in this. It just caught me like, wow, what's going on here? What's happening here? And it's, it's almost like there's this image of, David, if you're going to go and you're going to fight, if you're going to achieve what you need to in this moment in your life, this is how you do it. But David, actually, the one backed by God, the one that God chose, actually, he feels something different. He's like, no, I, I, I can't go in this. I can't go in this stuff. And I wonder in our lives, right, if there's certain things expected of you or certain things you expect of yourself. If you look at your life and you look at problems, you look at your career, you look at your relationships and you think that you have a a good grasp on the way to do them. Actually, this is the way you do it. It's common sense. You need this. You need that. You get the house, you get the car, you need the next thing, you need that, you need a relationship. You do all this stuff because it makes sense. And actually, part of your culture, all around you, the people around you, they're doing it. So you just you, you go ahead and, and it's how you do it, right? But in this moment, David's under that pressure of the armor being the way you do things, the way you wore. But actually, something else is going on inside of him. And, and the way God has shaped him is that he can't fight that way. Actually, he can't go in that stuff. So he says, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go a different way. And for those of us that follow Jesus, you know, we can easily look at our lives and plan our route and invite Jesus along with us. But if we do that, I'll tell you, sometimes we're going to get that seriously wrong because Jesus isn't the co-pilot. Jesus isn't along with us. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we are behind him. He is leading. He's out in front. He is choosing the direction, not us. And maybe for some of us, you, in your life at the moment, you're struggling with stuff. And you might not have put it like this, but th- th- there's maybe jobs you're trying to have, relationships you're trying to maintain, dreams you've got, and it's just really just a, a nightmare, and you're trying to do it, and, and you're, you, you know deep down it's not quite right, and you need to come to a moment when you go, actually... If I'm going to follow Jesus in what he wants from me, I can't go 
in these. I can't have this stuff. For me, there's been lots of moments where this has happened. When I was um, like 19, 20, I had a job. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great job. I, I left school with an outstandingly bad like, uh, record. You know, I left at 15. I just did not go back. And uh, they never phoned and said, come back. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I eventually got a job, and I was quite surprised I got it. It was a cushy job, and entry level, I was on about 17 grand at the time, and not bad, and I had a nice little car, and things like that. Life was going well for me. And uh, I thought, this is good. And my dad had always said to me, you get a job. You know, sometimes he said, get a job. Uh, but he said, get a job, earn a living. So this was common sense, right? You want to grow up, you get a job, you get your money, you, you start building up and you get higher and higher up in a, in a job until you're at the top doing nothing, looking at those working. And uh, that's just the way you do it. And then I had a phone call from a friend of mine. And he said, oh, Rick, I've been thinking of you. There's a, there's a youth work job. And uh, if you want to do it. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was full time, like I say, on decent money, quite happy. The job was very easy. The people were cool. And he said, well, I said, well, what's the job? He goes, well, it's like 20 hours a week. I said, right, okay, what's the pay? Yeah, it's, it's about five grand a year, okay? Now, I spend about five grand a year on McDonald's, okay? So at that moment, I was like, no, 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 don't think so. Because that's not where I should be heading. But God was different. God had a different thing. And he actually, I began to realize I could stick at this job. And I could stick at any job, actually, and try and make a, a, a go of it. But actually, deep down in me, there's something else that God is doing. And I realized that if I was going to follow Jesus into what he had for me, I realized I, I couldn't go in those clothes. I couldn't go in that armour. I couldn't go just by having the job and trying to do the, the, the part-time thing. I actually, actually take a risk. And it cost me. And it was risky. And uh, it went all right. It went all right. Actually, one of, the, one of the great fruits of that time that came out of it was I met my wife. Yeah. That was great. And uh, we were poor together, weren't we, for a while there. It's good. And things changed. You know, I did that youth work thing for a while, did something else. But time and time again for me, God, I get to a point where I'm quite comfortable and, and things seem to be going well and I have a logical route and God goes, and there's a little bit of like, oh, strangeness in me where I go, actually, no, if I'm going to get to there where God wants me to get to, if I'm going to defeat the giant, then I can't go in this stuff. It happened again when I was uh, kind of doing general building with a, my mate Monkey Ben and doing some other stuff. And I had a conversation with uh, Chris, the senior pastor here, and he said, hey, do you want to come and work for us? Be careful when you talk to Chris, by the way, because suddenly your life gets ruined. <laughs> Not ruined. It's good. And he said, do you want to come work for me? And, I, and I'd ha- I, things were going all right with me. And, but actually, I was like, oh, it's a bit risky, you know. I was actually thinking at that moment of training to be, uh, become a carpenter or something. I'd done some bricklaying and thinking what I need to trade because I need to earn money consistently wherever I go. And that was, on my, that was my route. But God was like, no, actually, you need to go and work a day and a half at the vineyard and try and do some other work if you can. And, and I did it. What is there in your life? What is there right now in your life? where you think you've got it clocked. Maybe you're about to go to university. Maybe you're at university. Maybe you're in a career. You're just about to switch careers, especially at the moment. Lots of people are having to chop and change. You're in a relationship with someone. Maybe it's a new relationship. 
and you're not quite sure whether you should be in it or not, maybe it's an old one, you're thinking maybe you should step up and take the thing to the next level. What is there in your life, actually, you need to really look at and, and ask some honest questions and say, as a follower of Jesus, and what I know Jesus wants from me, can I, on my current route, wearing the stuff I've got at the moment, can I get there? Or if you do that, honestly, would you have to say to yourself, I, I can't go in these? And some of you have to chop and change your life to get to where God wants you to be. What I like about the story of David is um, the way he defeats the giant. Just if you don't know the ending, he does kill him. And uh, the cool thing is he, 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 they walk out to the field and the, the giant's come in and David's come in. And David starts to run at the giant. Just runs at him. Full pelt. And he gets a sling and he throws a sling and he bops it. Right in Goliath's head. And I guess being a nine foot giant, you've got a huge noggin. So it's really easy to get. But he whops it right in his head and he kills him. You know what I love about David is in that moment he did not get superpowers. In the moment of obeying God, not the culture around him. In that moment of stepping out, he didn't suddenly get to be 10 or 11 foot tall or anything. He was just a shepherd boy. He was cheese boy. And all he did was he used the same things that had been in his life for years. The things, and and actually he's acknowledged that it was in the moments with the lion and the bear and the sling that he'd met God. He had this secret history with God. These secret moments with God where God had rescued him out of stuff. And it was in the moment of, of that clash with this giant that he uses those little skills. And I wonder in your lives, whatever your age is, what is there in you? What are the secret moments you've had with God where he has spoken something into you? What are the secret desires and skills you've got that God has probably put in you? You see, when we step out and we follow Jesus, we don't become someone else. We become the best version of ourselves. And David steps out in this moment. And he, he, he just goes with what he already has. But this time he goes with God. And God uses him in this powerful, amazing way. And I just want to challenge you guys. I've got three things for you to think about, actually. Three little things. If I can have the last, here we go. Three little questions. What, what are you wearing in your life? What route are you choosing in your life? Where, where, where are your plans? Where, where are you heading to go? What are you planning to do? Does that go against what you think Jesus is telling you to do? What you think God's plan is for you? Is that entirely against your nature? If God has created you in, in your nature to be a real people person, you've just got a heart for people, yet you're in a job where you see no one all day, what are you doing? What are you doing? If God has put great compassion in your heart for people and you see people suffering and you're just like, oh, your heart's wounded for them. But you're, you're not involved in any, any, any outlet that does something about that. What are you doing? What are we doing? What are you wearing? Last thing, are you being the real you? Are you being the real you? You know, um, uh, when I was at school, I did drama. It shows, doesn't it? I did drama. I'll tell you why, because... For as long as I can remember, I've always spoke to myself. <laughs> Anyone else? 
Oh, so thank you for putting your hand up. I'd be so embarrassed. I used to speak to myself. We used to walk around and talk to myself, have little conversations. I would have little films and stuff where I would be the villain and the, the, the guy who wins. And I thought, in school, I thought, okay, maybe I am supposed to be an actor. So I took drama. Turns out I was wrong. I'm terrible. <laughs> I got like a, I got ungraded, I think. It, it was so abhorrent. She couldn't, the, the woman couldn't bring herself to grade it. <laughs> but what was happening is, I'm actually, part of my nature is to do this thing. Is to preach and to talk about God and reveal what he's like. But in my life, I was trying to find avenues that would fit that. So maybe it's acting, maybe it's I'm insane, <laughs> so I'm just talking to myself. But now actually what it was, God's preparing me to be a speaker, to stand up here with confidence and do this thing. But I could have chosen many other routes to be talking to someone. I could have gone into sales and made loads of money by blagging my way through my every moment. But I, I didn't. Because I couldn't really go in those things. I had to go in this. So I just want to say to you today that you are marvelous and you are unique and there is something in you that God has put in you and the world around you will try and shape you your family because they love you will try and shape you but actually only God knows who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do And it's only in trusting in God and listening and going when he says go that we begin to actually defeat the giants, get past the big things that we think are just a barrier in our lives and we get to where God wants us to be. Would you guys mind standing up? Can I have the band back up? Yes, just pray. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us all, Lord God, something of uh, your nature, Lord. That deep in us, Lord God, there is um, leanings that are just like you. And Lord, as we look at David, uh, someone who you chose but who did not yet have everything you wanted to give him, we realize that we are chosen by you, Lord. But yet, we do not yet have everything you want to give us. So Jesus, we just pray, we ask of you, Lord God, that in our lives and in the roots and plans we've got for ourselves, Lord God, would you interrupt us? Would you call us, Lord God, to a different way? Would you show us in our lives, Lord, what, what we are carrying that just does not fit us? And would you show us, Lord, what we need to cast off, get rid of, deal with, Lord, in order to fight the battle and win and begin to inherit more of what you have for us, Lord God? Amen.